and uh, appreciate all of you being here today. It's a beautiful day outside, and a lot of times that keeps people away, believe it or not. And so I appreciate your faithfulness to be here. Good to see Brother Bob here today, and praise the Lord for that. And he uh, he said he went down and told the people at the cemetery to go ahead and start digging the grave, and then he got feeling better and went and told them to fill it back up again. So uh, wasn't quite ready yet. So, But good to see him in the service this morning, Brother Bob. Certainly a joy to have you, and uh, very good to... To see you here. First Timothy chapter number one. And I uh, want to encourage you, if you would, to stay through for our uh, afternoon service and looking forward to the time together. Our afternoon services typically are geared to a more practical uh, type of a teaching uh, from God's Word where we try to give some helpful things, things that are practical you can use to help uh, implement things in your life. And so I want to encourage you, if you would, to come for those. And uh, right now in Sunday school, if you don't normally come to Sunday school, we're going through the book of Genesis and uh, having a good time with that and enjoying that. Um, I've had a request, and we're praying about it, about whether we should just go straight through the Bible from Genesis, just take each book as they come uh, in Sunday school, and we'll see if that's the direction the Lord will let us go with that or not. But uh, I've had several people ask about doing that and uh, possibly may do that throughout uh, the course of our Sunday school class but uh, been excited about what God is doing here towards the end of the year and thankful that we're seeing some spiritual growth. Uh, I've seen some in my life and I've seen some in the lives of other folks and certainly a joy uh, to see that happening. And aren't you glad when God does something in your heart and draws you closer to Him? I'll tell you, uh, I'm thankful for that. That ought to be, uh, when we come to church, I think that ought to be one of the big things we look for is for God to do something in our hearts and uh, I'm praying that God will do that this morning as well. First Timothy chapter number 1. And uh, there are four times that Paul uh, uses this phrase. This is a faithful saying. Um, I've joked around a little bit with some folks uh, about uh, sometimes we say, now uh, this is a better verse or this is a better verse or this is the really good verse. Uh, and we understand this morning that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all Scripture is profitable. Amen? And, and I would go so far as to say this. All Scripture is faithful. It cannot be, uh, it cannot be um, refuted. It cannot, it, there's never a time that God's Word is not going to be true. Um, and so all of it is faithful. But there are four times that Paul emphasizes this statement that this is a faithful saying. And I want us to look at those four instances this morning and uh, see what it is that Paul looked at and said these are things that I want us to be dead sure on, that these are rock solid. We don't ever waver on these things. And he does this not for the sake of saying that other things are not faithful in Scripture. He's doing this for the sake of emphasizing these four things. And the first one we find in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 15. As he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners... Of whom I am chief. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven, I pray that through the preaching of your word, the convicting of your Holy Spirit, that they would see that need, they would be convicted of it, and that they would get that matter settled before they leave this place. For Christians that are here, I pray that you would help this to be an encouragement, a strengthening of our faith and direction and guidance to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. 
blessed in the service. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word effectively, that your Holy Spirit would take it and with power that it would go forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse 14, Paul says, And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And can I tell you this, that there is no salvation that comes to man save by the grace of God. The greatest grace that God ever gave, the greatest unmerited favor that God ever gave to you and I was the grace of mercy. The fact that you and I did not deserve to have the mercy of God, and yet He chose to make it available to each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but that, that's enough to make even a Baptist get excited about some things. Because the truth is, not one of us could ever come to God on our own merit and say, Lord, I've done this, and this, and this, and this, and therefore you deserve, I deserve to have you give me your mercy. We have nothing to stand on. We have no place to leverage God or we have no place to bargain with God. All we can do is come to Him with nothing but our life that is in shambles and say, Lord, this isn't much, but it's all I have. And Lord, I'm trusting You as my Savior this morning. The Bible tells us in verse number 15 that this is a faithful saying. And the emphasis here is on the, uh, the idea that Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, not to be a lawmaker, not to be a man who's uh, out to cause people to live a miserable life. The Bible says that He came, uh, notice in verse number 15, Jesus Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. That's the main reason that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. And by the way, until that issue is taken care of, all of the other things that the Lord Jesus Christ came for are, are certainly not worth anything to us if this is not first dealt with and taken care of. In John chapter number 3, the Bible says that there's not anything that we really have to do in order to <coughs> be condemned. In fact, the Bible says, He that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to believe anything. You just have to simply go through life doing nothing to be condemned. And the truth of the matter is, every person that has been born that understands the difference between right and wrong and understands sin uh, is of a point where they are guilty and condemned by their own testimony and by their own actions and by their own nature. The Bible says that He did not come into the world to condemn man, but He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I enjoy the opportunity that we have to honor certain people in our society. I'm a very patriotic fellow. I'm thankful for our military, aren't you? I'll tell you what, and I don't say that to just get an amen in church. I'm grateful uh, every once in a while I'll see a little video clip of a military person who comes home and surprises their family and the joy that that family has and I think what sacrifice that family must go through. Whether saved or lost, I have to uh, respect and honor them for their level of dedication and sacrifice so that I can enjoy the freedom this morning to stand here in a pulpit and take God's Word and preach it without fear of persecution. I'm thankful for our military. I'm thankful for our first responders, aren't you? I'll tell you what, if I'm having a heart attack, I want them there on the spot, don't you? 
If my house is on fire, I want them there. If, if something's going on uh, in a bad situation, I want the police to be there. And we thank the Lord for those, uh, those first responders and those that we look at and we say these are heroes in society. And we look at them and we all owe a debt of gratitude and we all uh, come to this uh, mindset of our military and our first responders and we give them in our hearts, or we ought to, a place of honor. Amen? Because they have our best interest at heart, and they are willing to sacrifice their life for mine. And yet we live in a day when the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice his life for mine, we give no respect. We live in that kind of society. Why is it that we do not have days that are set aside and dedicated as national holidays to do nothing but be excited about the Lord Jesus Christ? We've taken the ones that should have been made for that and we've so secularized them that you can't even recognize them anymore. You look at Christmas time and Easter and all of these things that the world looks at and they think this is just another time to buy and sell and have fun and, and never give a thought to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have moments of silence at certain times of the year in memory and dedication for those who gave the ultimate price for our, our, our liberty and our freedom. And yet we live in a society that so hates and despises our blessed Savior. And He deserves all of the honor and all of the glory and all of the respect. And I hope and pray that as God's people, we don't ever get to the place where the salvation that we hold becomes mundane, but that it becomes something that is precious. Something that we love and that we cherish. And we love the Lord and we love God for uh, even more so as we dwell and we think on what He has done and what He had to give up so that you and I could have liberty and so that we could get to the place where Paul said in the book of Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today that I can stand here and say, I, even though I'm a sinner by nature, even though I deserve to die and go to hell, there is therefore now no condemnation in my life because I am in Jesus Christ. I am under His blood. The Bible tells us that this is a faithful saying. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's an exciting story, isn't it? It's something to be thankful of. I, I love reading history. I'm, I'm a history buff and I enjoy some things uh, in history, especially when it comes to uh, our Revolutionary War. Uh, my sister tells me it's not a Revolutionary War, it's just a war for independence. But uh, the, I enjoy reading stories and the self-sacrifice, the selflessness of many of the, of the forefathers that we have to be thankful to <coughs> that knowing they would not enjoy the fruits of liberty, they were willing to give their lives for it. And can I tell you this, we honor and we reverence them and there ought to be in our lives as God's people a reverence, a love, an endearment. I read those stories and I, tears will come to my eyes as I read of some of the men and some of the women who have given their lives so wondrously. I read those and my heart swells with gratitude and pride and love for them even though I've never met them before. And I would like to say that that happens when I think about the Lord Jesus Christ also. 
That as God's people, we are excited, we're thankful, we are grateful. We can't even, words cannot express the level of gratitude. For you see, even though men and women in this world can save us from temporal things, my Savior has saved me from a life of eternity, of condemnation. This is a faithful saying. I wonder so often why the world so despises the glorious story of the gospel. It certainly seems to be out of place, doesn't it? For them to be so excited and willing to show reverence and respect and love for those that have laid down their lives in this world. And not willing to show joy and respect and love for the one that laid down his life on Calvary. May God help us as His people to never get over the fact that we're saved this morning. Paul said this is a faithful saying. This is a saying that cannot be, it cannot be refuted. It cannot be destroyed. It's not something that's up for debate or up for argument. That the purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth was to seek and to save sinners. I'm glad He did, didn't He? Because the truth is, you and I had no desire to seek Him when we were in our sins. He had to come looking for me. He had to prick my heart. There had to be a drawing by the Holy Spirit of God to get me to a place where I realized I needed a Savior. I'm so thankful for my Savior this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you this? God sure does love you. He loved you so much that John 3 and verse number 16 says that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Looking around the room this morning, I know most of our folks that are here are folks that go to church quite regularly. The truth of the matter is I sat in church for a number of years lost. I would not ever try to cause anybody to doubt their salvation. I don't want to ever do that. But I would certainly say, are you sure that you're saved this morning? Have you trusted Christ? Has there been that time that you realized you were lost? You know, one of the great travesties of this world is so many times people in this world do not know they're lost. Could you imagine being in a house and catches on fire? And a number of fire trucks pull up and they come in the door with their oxygen masks on and their suits on and their helmets on. They begin to try to get the people out of the house and as they come to you, you say, well, what are you trying to do? This is my house. Get out of here. Not realizing that they're in danger. You know, that's the way our world is today. They don't realize that they're condemned already. The great glorious gospel, the great news of the gospel is not that God came to condemn us, but God came to save us from our condemnation. Oh, what a joy it is this morning to be saved. Look with me, if you will, also in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 8. This was one of my favorite verses. For bodily exercise profiteth little. <laughs> I'm so glad that is in Scripture. 
The only thing is, it doesn't say it doesn't profit. It just says it profits little. And really, I don't even know that it profits little, but in comparison to what godliness profits, it's just a drop in the bucket. Notice what it says here. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Not only are we saved, but we are called to a life of godliness. Somebody used this phrase or this analogy in looking at the word godliness that it really refers to how much we are like Christ or God-likeness, if you will. How much we are trying to emulate Him. And can I say this, that when we get saved, we don't just get our ticket to heaven stamped and put it in our wallet and go on about our carnal lives living after the world and the things of the world. But there ought to come a growth in the Christian life that brings us to a place of godliness. And Paul says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. I'm emphasizing this, Paul says. I want you to understand this, that salvation just doesn't end with getting our sins forgiven. (coughs) But we are to reap the benefits of being saved. And that is a life of godliness. We live in a world today that says, well, it really doesn't matter how you live as long as you're saved. I've heard people say, well, we're all just going the same place. We're getting there different ways. Can I tell you this? There is only one way to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is through Him. And because narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it, can I say this, that it is a divisive issue. It is an issue upon which we must separate. Because there are those that believe there are other ways to get to heaven. And can I tell you this, my friend, I cannot endorse that based upon Scripture. For the Bible says there is one way and only one, and that is through coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. But can I tell you this, that it is not enough for us to simply be saved. We must then begin to grow in the Christian life. If it was not intended for you and I to have growth in the Christian life and to spend a life that is selfless and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, then God would have taken us to heaven the moment we trusted Him as our Savior. Why would there ever be a need for us to dwell on this earth and go through the sorrows and the heartache and the pain of life having our salvation if not for us getting a life of godliness to be an example to others? Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness, the Bible says, is profitable unto what? All things. Having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. I remember years ago, uh, Dr. Charles Weigel, who was in the um, uh, Weigel Music Center. They had just built it on Tennessee Temple University's property. I remember hearing the story and how that uh, they had had the dedication service that afternoon. And uh, later on, one of the preachers that was there for the day was walking around and went past the door of the apartment that they had built for Dr. Weigel and uh, heard a commotion going on inside uh, the, uh, the apartment. And was worried. Brother Weigel was up in years, probably in his mid to late 80s, I would think, or so, somewhere in there. 
and uh, they uh, watched this, uh, or this man walked in and he saw, or knew there was something going on inside the apartment and he opened the door, uh, not getting an answer to his knock, worried that Brother Weigel was in distress of some kind. And he sees this 80-some-year-old man standing on top of his bed, jumping up and down and waving his arms saying, Glory! Hallelujah! Praise God! And they said, Brother Weigel, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just practicing for heaven. Can I tell you this? There's going to come a day, aren't you glad of this, that you and I will not have to fight the old sin nature anymore. When we get to heaven, we're going to live a godly life. And I'm looking forward to that. But I want you to notice that Paul says this is a faithful saying, not only that we are to live a glorified and a a godly life in the life to come, but he says also in this life. And he emphasizes the importance of this, that we strive for godliness in this life. By the way, godliness... Separation, holiness, living right is still in the Bible. Amen? Amen. It is not something that changes as society gets worse and worse. You say, Brother Greg, how do I know what godliness is? Don't compare yourself to the world. That will never tell you. I would say this. Don't even compare how far you are away from the world. Because the truth is the world is going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. What is our only source that we can find true godliness in this life? The Word of God. Our life ought to be measured by the measuring rule of God's Word. And I'm going to tell you, I don't like it. Oh, I love God's Word. Don't get me wrong, as God's child, I love coming to God's Word. But I'm going to tell you, it, my old nature hates it when it points out things that I'm doing. That I ought not be doing. You there with me? We don't like that. In fact, it brings uneasiness to our heart. We call it a conscience or conviction. And the sad fact of the matter is, in the day that we live, we've lost how to respond appropriately to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. We, we call it being offended. <laughs> We, we, we leave the church saying, boy, I'll tell you what, I will never go back there again. That bothered me. I'll tell you this, I, and Lord help us to always be this way. I, I, I don't think I would ever get up as a preacher and try to tell you what I think about something. I, I'm going to try to take what God's Word says. And if we get offended and we get hurt by it, I don't want it to be because that's Brother Greg's idea. I want that to be because God has said... Thus saith the Lord. I I want these to be things that are based upon what His standard is for my life and for your life. I want this to be based upon what His mindset is for godliness. So many times I hear people that come to me and and they ask about a, a particular thing and they say, well, what's so wrong about this? I would rather not ask that question. What's so wrong about it? I'm not trying to see how close I can get to wrong. I want to come to God's Word and say, okay, what's right? How close can I get to being right? How much can I strive and press toward the mark of being right? We so often ask the wrong question. Well, what's so wrong with that? The wrong question. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of the life that is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Number three, look with me, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. 2 Timothy, 
chapter number 2, verse number 11. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 11. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Now this is a wonderful concept, and I love this. We find here a twofold idea. In fact, Solomon was a master at this in the Proverbs. He would use what were called antithetical Proverbs. He would give a statement one way, And then he would take that statement and he would flip it in reverse and say the exact same thing but in an antithetical way. We find here that Paul is saying there are two things that come into play in this faithful saying. One of them we find in verse number 11, the Bible says it is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, who is him? Who? Christ. Do we find that anywhere else in Scripture? Sure. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So, so we find that we are to be crucified. What is, what is it that is to be crucified? Are we to take the new man? Are we to take the spiritual nature that we've gained when we get saved, the one that is quickened and made alive in us? Do we take that nature and we crucify that nature? No, which one do we do? The flesh, okay, the old man, the old nature, We're to be crucified. Romans chapter 6 deals with this so clearly. In chapter number 7, it deals with the old man and the idea that it is to be crucified. I'm not under sin anymore. Aren't you glad of that? I'm not under the bondage of sin anymore because my old nature can be crucified and put under under the bondage of being put away and I'm walking now after the inner man. But we find a twofold thing that Paul says is a faithful saying. He says, first of all, in verse number 11, that we are to be dead with him. We're to be crucified with Christ in the area of our old nature. Now, notice he says here, and we shall also, or a comma, we shall also live with him. We find two concepts that are given here that so often we miss in the Christian life. We are to be crucified with Christ, and we are to live with Christ. That seems almost a paradox, almost one of those things. That How do you explain that? Well, the explanation is simply this, that we are to die in our old nature and we are to be walking in newness of life with the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we have an ordinance that we practice as Baptists. We believe it's one of two ordinances that are given in Scripture called baptism. Baptism is not something that makes us more saved. It is simply the first act of obedience once a person is saved. And the purpose of it is to demonstrate vividly that my old man is crucified and I'm rising to walk in newness of life. Paul says this is a faithful saying. Those of us that are to be dead to our old nature. Those of us that die. Years ago, Dr. Bobby Robertson, who's home with the Lord now, just about a year or so ago, two years ago, I guess now, he was he had Dr. Lester Roloff to preach for him at Walkertown at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. They were dear friends. I've shared this story before with our church, but they were dear friends. And one night on one of the last nights that Dr. Rol- Brother Roloff was going to be there to preach, uh, Dr. Bobby got up and he introduced him. And as he introduced him, he said, come on up here, you old reprobate, and preach for us. And they 
and had a relationship where they joked around with each other like that. But it really bothered Brother Bobby's heart. He was convicted of that. Because there in front of all of this church, he had called a dear friend of his a reprobate. On the way to the airport, as he was taking Brother Roloff back to the airport the next day, he said, Brother Roloff, I have an apology to make. He said, you were one of my dearest friends, and I would not want to do anything in this world to hurt you. And he said, the way I introduced you in the pulpit last night, he said, I feel like I've hurt you, and I need to apologize for that. And Brother Roloff said, Brother Bobby, if I was hurt by that, that was my problem, not yours. Because you can't hurt a dead man. You can't hurt a dead man. You know what Brother Roloff had realized? Brother Roloff realized he needed to die to himself. If we be dead with Christ, we shall also live with him. A twofold idea that our old nature must be crucified. And we must live a life that is pleasing to God, living after the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. There are so many times that I see in Christians' lives people who get saved. They try outwardly many times to clean themselves up and look the way a Christian ought to look. And by the way, we spent a good deal on that Wednesday night. The idea being that the standard must come from the heart, not the other way around. Oh, that we could learn as God's people to die to the old nature. That seems to be the hard part, isn't it? Because I'll tell you this, even Paul said this. He said the Spirit is willing, didn't he? It's not hard to desire to walk after the Spirit. That's, that's something that's natural in us when we get saved. And, and if we don't have a desire to walk after the Spirit, then we ought to check up on our salvation. Because when we get saved, there seems to be a natural inclination to want to please God. But the hard part, the battle we face, is crucifying the old nature. Boy, the appetites of this world are hard to give up. If you don't believe, ask Lot's wife. Boy, it was hard for her to give that up. The battle we face and the struggle we have so many times... Is giving up the flesh. I want you to notice the last thing that is a faithful saying. Look with me, if you will, in the book of Titus. Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3, just a couple pages over. And verse number 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. You and I have a responsibility of reaching this world with the gospel, and the truth of the matter is Paul is speaking here of our testimony. That which men see. Not so much the heart as that which many times that the unsaved people have to look at. And he says this in verse number 8, and please follow with me if you don't mind. That we, it says, and this is a faithful saying, these things I will that thou affirm. Notice the next word here. What does it say? Constantly. One of the great travesties of the Christian life 
that I battle with in my life, and I'll tell you right now, I promise you do too, whether you see it or not, I promise you battle with this, that we have a problem with trying to live consistently the Christian life. We have a problem with the idea that I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be this all the time, regardless of the cost. Because the truth is, many times the cost becomes very heavy. And, and he says this in verse number 8, that the faithful saying is that, I will, uh, that thou affirm constantly that they which believe in God might be careful to maintain good works. The idea here is full of care, that there be a constant, I don't want to say worrying, but a constant intensive attitude toward maintaining good works. That there be a continual thought of, how many of you are OCD? Anybody here OCD? Okay. If you really were, you'd be upset that I even asked that. How many of you are CDO? Okay. It has to be alphabetical if you're really OCD. So CDO would be alphabetical. Anybody like that? How many of you have those tendencies towards that? Okay. The, the, the truth of the matter is this. That, that when you're OCD, you're continually focused on it, and it bothers you when something's out of place. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm not the greatest organizer in the world. My, uh, I'm not a housekeeper. I can look at my house and tell uh, God made men the, the mind of the, uh, the, the head of the, of the home, the, the mind of the home. God made the women the heart of the home, and the ladies are the ones that make a home feel warm and welcoming and greeting, not men. You know, I got Domino's pizza boxes in my fridge and mismatched furniture. You know, I don't care. I'm a man. I live there, and that's the way I am. A, a lady would come in the house and say, this is not good. That's not a good thing. But, but OCD people, uh, it, it, you're constantly looking at things, and you're trying to, to get to this mindset of uh, I, I, if something's out of place, then I can't do it. I am that way in a few areas. Now, I'm not that way in, in all of my life, but when I eat at a restaurant, and I'm talking with something. A lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, if you notice, and I do this without thinking about it, I eat one food at a time. I, I may have ten things on my plate. I'll eat all of one, then I'll move it, eat all of the next one. And I do it naturally. I don't think about it. Uh, my kids get laughing at me because a lot of times if there's a paper plate there, a paper uh, 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 placemat and a napkin and a knife, fork, spoon and cup and I usually have a cup of coffee and a cup of water. Everything has to be at right angles, and everything has to be equally spaced. And I, I'm constantly fidgeting with things on the table while I'm eating, and I'm talking, and I'm not even paying attention to what I'm doing. It just happens. I do that. I'll move salt and pepper shakers to where they're exactly where they need to be. And, and, and it's just weird. It's one of those weird things. You have a weird pastor. And, uh, but can I say this? It, it, it gets to the point where it's constant. I don't even hardly have to think about the things that I do. And that's what Paul is saying here. That we are careful to be maintaining good works. That it's something we just do by nature. It's not something that we have to work on and think about. But it ought to be something that our minds are so focused on that we do this constantly. And that there is a consistency in the Christian life. When I was growing up, many times we would hear stories. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. And I had uh, two brothers and sisters. Uh... Uh, of each, two of each, two brothers, two sisters, two, one of each older and one of each younger. So I'm the epitome of the middle child. And um, I, I, I used to hear stories of preacher's kids 
And they would, uh, sometimes people would crack jokes about preacher's kids or missionary's kids and how, boy, you know how those preacher's kids are. You know, they're rotten to the core, you know. And you'd hear so many times of uh, preachers and people in ministry that would lose their own kids. Every one of my brothers and sisters that were born and raised in my mom and dad's home are in ministry today, in some sort of ministry. I don't say that to be braggadocious because by the grace of God, uh, it, it could be that tomorrow one or more would leave the ministry for some reason and forsake God, and I'm not trying to tout our horns. But I'm saying all that to show this. Numerous times we have had people ask us, how is it that, the, that you guys turned out and didn't end up uh, wrecked and, and somewhere shipwrecked? And I, I've thought about that a long time. My brothers and sisters have thought about it for a long time. And I think we're all in agreement on this, that one of the great contributing factors was that what my dad and mom were in church, they were at home. I don't ever remember my dad preaching something from the pulpit that we did not have in our home. I don't ever remember my mom and dad being something, and I'll tell you right now, they weren't perfect. But their hearts always longed for the things that they were. We were careful to maintain good works. Consistency in the Christian life. If we understood the damage that inconsistency caused, it would change a lot of the way we live. Paul said this is a faithful saying. It's faithful that Jesus came to this world to save sinners. It's faithful that we are to live a godly life, both now and in the life to come. It is a faithful saying that we are to die to the old man and to walk in newness of life. And it is faithful that we are to be careful to maintain this and to be consistent in our Christian lives. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, the truth is, in one or more of these areas, every single person sitting in this room battles, struggles, fights. Lord, we're thankful that you give strength to get the victory many times. But Lord, there are many times, far too often than we like to admit, that we fail in one or more of these Lord, I pray that you would help us to rededicate and recommit ourselves and our hearts and lives to you to follow after these things. Lord, if you saw fit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to emphasize these things specifically, that these became a matter of concern for the Apostle Paul, then, Father, I pray that you would help them to be a matter of concern to those that are here this morning, that they would be things that we would look at and emphasize in our lives that we would take heed to, that we would be careful for. Father, help us, I pray. If there's someone here this morning that's not saved, I pray that you would help them to see that need and get saved this morning. For Christians that are here, perhaps there's some battles that we've been failing in. We've allowed some things to slip. Maybe we've grown cold or calloused in some areas and need to be drawn back to you. Lord, whatever the case is, I pray that you would have your will and way during the invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed as the piano and organ begin to play. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come today? Perhaps there'd be someone that needs to be saved. We'd be glad to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. Maybe some Christians that are here today say, Boy, I just need to rededicate my life in some of these areas. 
I've let some of it slip. I've been losing the battle far too often than I like to admit. Whatever the need is, would you come this morning?